chapter ten of the suppression of the african slave trade to the united states of america sixteen thirty eight to eighteen seventy volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox the suppression of the african slave trade to the united states of america sixteen thirty eight to eighteen seventy by w e b du bois the rise of the cotton kingdom eighteen twenty to eighteen fifty seventy four the economic revolution seventy five the attitude of the south seventy six the attitude of the north and congress seventy seven imperfect application of the laws seventy eight responsibility of the government seventy nine activity of the slave trade seventy four the economic revolution the history of slavery and the slave trade after eighteen twenty must be read in the light of the industrial revolution through which the civilized world passed in the first half of the nineteenth century between the years seventeen seventy five and eighteen twenty five occurred economic events and changes of the highest importance and widest influence though all branches of industry felt the impulse of this new industrial life yet if we consider single industries cotton manufacture has during the nineteenth century made the most magnificent and gigantic advances this fact is easily explained by the remarkable series of inventions that revolutionized this industry between seventeen thirty eight and eighteen thirty including arkwright's watts compton's and cartwright's epoch-making contrivances the effect which these inventions had on the manufacture of cotton goods is best illustrated by the fact that in england the chief cotton market of the world the consumption of raw cotton rose steadily from thirteen thousand bales in seventeen eighty one to five hundred seventy two thousand in eighteen twenty to eight hundred seventy one thousand in eighteen thirty and to three million three hundred sixty six thousand in eighteen sixty very early therefore came the query whence the supply of raw cotton was to come tentative experiments on the rich broad fields of the southern united states together with the indispensable invention of whitney's cotton gin soon answered this question a new economic future was opened up to this land and immediately the whole south began to extend its cotton culture and more and more to throw its whole energy into this one staple here it was that the fatal mistake of compromising with slavery in the beginning and of the period of laissez-faire pursued thereafter became painfully manifest for instead now of a healthy normal economic development along proper industrial lines we have the abnormal and fatal rise of a slave labor large farming system which before it was realized had so intertwined itself with and braced itself upon the economic forces of an industrial age that a vast and terrible civil war was necessary to displace it the tendencies to a patriarchal serfdom recognizable in the age of washington and jefferson began slowly but surely to disappear and in the second quarter of the century southern slavery was irresistibly changing from a family institution to an industrial system the development of southern slavery has heretofore been viewed so exclusively from the ethical and social standpoint that we are apt to forget its close and indissoluble connection with the world's cotton market 
beginning with eighteen twenty a little after the close of the napoleonic wars when the industry of cotton manufacture had begun its modern development and the south had definitely assumed her position as chief producer of raw cotton we find the average price of cotton per pound eight and a half pence from this time until eighteen forty five the price steadily fell until in the latter year it reached four pence the only exception to this fall was in the years eighteen thirty two to eighteen thirty nine when among other things a strong increase in the english demand together with an attempt of the young slave power to corner the market sent the price up as high as eleven pence the demand for cotton goods soon outran a crop which mccullough had pronounced prodigious and after eighteen forty five the price started on a steady rise which except for the checks suffered during the continental revolutions and the crimean war continued until eighteen sixty the steady increase in the production of cotton explains the fall in price down to eighteen forty five in eighteen twenty two the crop was a half million bales in eighteen thirty one a million in eighteen thirty eight a million and a half and in eighteen forty to eighteen forty three two million by this time the world's consumption of cotton goods began to increase so rapidly that in spite of the increase in southern crops the price kept rising three million bales were gathered in eighteen fifty two three and a half million in eighteen fifty six and the remarkable crop of five million bales in eighteen sixty here we have data to explain largely the economic development of the south by eighteen twenty two the large plantation slave system had gained footing in eighteen thirty eight eighteen thirty nine it was able to show its power in the cotton corner by the end of the next decade it had not only gained a solid economic foundation but it had built a closed oligarchy with a political policy the changes in price during the next few years drove out of competition many survivors of the small farming free labor system and put the slave regime in position to dictate the policy of the nation the zenith of the system and the first inevitable signs of decay came in the years eighteen fifty to eighteen sixty when the rising price of cotton threw the whole economic energy of the south into its cultivation leading to a terrible consumption of soil and slaves to a great increase in the size of plantations and to increasing power and effrontery on the part of the slave barons finally when a rising moral crusade conjoined with threatened economic disaster the oligarchy encouraged by the state of the cotton market risked all on a political coup d'etat which failed in the war of eighteen sixty one to eighteen sixty five seventy five the attitude of the south the attitude of the south toward the slave trade changed pari passu with this development of the cotton trade from eighteen o eight to eighteen twenty the south half wished to get rid of a troublesome and abnormal institution and yet saw no way to do so the fear of insurrection and of the further spread of the disagreeable system led her to consent to the partial prohibition of the trade by severe national enactments nevertheless she had in the matter no settled policy she refused to support vigorously the execution of the laws she had helped to make 
and at the same time she acknowledged the theoretical necessity of these laws after eighteen twenty however there came a gradual change the south found herself supplied with a body of slave laborers whose number had been augmented by large illicit importations with an abundance of rich land and with all other natural facilities for raising a crop which was in large demand and peculiarly adapted to slave labor the increasing crop caused a new demand for slaves and an interstate slave traffic arose between the border and the gulf states which turned the former into slave-breeding districts and bound them to the slave states by ties of strong economic interest as the cotton crop continued to increase this source of supply became inadequate especially as the theory of land and slave consumption broke down former ethical and prudential bounds it was for example found cheaper to work a slave to death in a few years and buy a new one than to care for him in sickness and old age so too it was easier to despoil rich new land in a few years of intensive culture and move on to the southwest than to fertilize and conserve the soil consequently there early came a demand for land and slaves greater than the country could supply the demand for land showed itself in the annexation of texas the conquest of mexico and the movement toward the acquisition of cuba the demand for slaves was manifested in the illicit traffic that noticeably increased around eighteen thirty five and reached large proportions by eighteen sixty it was also seen in a disposition to attack the government for stigmatizing the trade as criminal then in a disinclination to take any measures which would have rendered our repressive laws effective and finally in such articulate declarations by prominent men as this experience having settled the point that this trade cannot be abolished by the use of force and that blockading squadrons serve only to make it more profitable and more cruel i am surprised that the attempt has persisted in unless as it serves as a cloak to some other purposes it would be far better than it now is for the african if the trade was free from all restrictions and left to the mitigation and decay which time and competition would surely bring about seventy six the attitude of the north and congress with the north as yet unawakened to the great changes taking place in the south and with the attitude of the south thus in process of development little or no constructive legislation could be expected on the subject of the slave trade as the divergence in sentiment became more and more pronounced there were various attempts at legislation all of which proved abortive the pro-slavery party attempted as early as eighteen twenty six and again in eighteen twenty eight to abolish the african agency and leave the africans practically at the mercy of the states one or two attempts were made to relax the few provisions which restrained the coastwise trade and after the treaty of eighteen forty two benton proposed to stop appropriations for the african squadron until england defined her position on the right of search question the anti-slavery men presented several bills to amend and strengthen previous laws they sought for instance in vain to regulate the texan trade through which numbers of slaves indirectly reached the united states presidents and councils earnestly recommended legislation to restrict the clearances of vessels bound on slave-trading voyages 
and to hinder the facility with which slavers obtained fraudulent papers only one such bill succeeded in passing the senate and that was dropped in the house the only legislation of this period was confined to a few appropriation bills only one of these acts that of eighteen twenty three appropriating fifty thousand dollars was designed materially to aid in the suppression of the trade all the others relating to expenses incurred after violations after eighteen twenty three the appropriations dwindled being made at intervals of one two and three years down to eighteen thirty four when the amount was five thousand dollars no further appropriations were made until eighteen forty two when a few thousands above an unexpended surplus were appropriated in eighteen forty three five thousand dollars were given and finally in eighteen forty six twenty five thousand dollars were secured but this was the last sum obtainable until eighteen fifty six nearly all of these meagre appropriations went toward reimbursing southern plantation owners for the care and support of illegally imported africans and the rest to the maintenance of the african agency suspiciously large sums were paid for the first purpose considering the fact that such africans were always worked hard by those to whom they were farmed out and often disappeared while in their hands in the accounts we nevertheless find many items like that of twenty thousand two hundred and eighty six dollars ninety eight cents for the maintenance of negroes imported on the ramirez in eighteen twenty seven five thousand four hundred forty two dollars twenty two cents for the bounty subsistence clothing medicine etc of fifteen africans in eighteen thirty five three thousand six hundred thirteen dollars for the support of thirty-eight slaves for two months including a bill of one thousand thirty-eight dollars for medical attendance the african agency suffered many vicissitudes the first agent bacon who set out early in eighteen twenty was authorized by president monroe to form an establishment on the island of sherbro or elsewhere on the coast of africa and to build barracks for three hundred persons he was however warned not to connect your agency with the views or plans of the colonization society with which under the law the government of the united states has no concern bacon soon died and was followed during the next four years by wynne and ayres they succeeded in establishing a government agency on cape miserado in conjunction with that of the colonization society the agent of that society yehudi ashman became after eighteen twenty two the virtual head of the colony he fortified and enlarged it and laid the foundations of an independent community the succeeding government agents came to be merely official representatives of the united states and the distribution of free rations for liberated africans ceased in eighteen twenty seven between eighteen nineteen and eighteen thirty two hundred and fifty two recaptured africans were sent to the agency and two hundred sixty four thousand seven hundred ten dollars were expended the property of the government at the agency was valued at eighteen thousand eight hundred ninety five dollars from eighteen thirty to eighteen forty nearly twenty thousand more were expended chiefly for the agent's salaries about eighteen forty the appointment of an agent ceased and the colony became gradually self-supporting and independent it was proclaimed as the republic of liberia in eighteen forty seven 
seventy seven imperfect application of the laws in reviewing efforts toward the suppression of the slave trade from eighteen twenty to eighteen fifty it must be remembered that nearly every cabinet had a strong if not a predominating southern element and that consequently the efforts of the executive were powerfully influenced by the changing attitude of the south naturally under such circumstances the government displayed little activity and no enthusiasm in the work in eighteen twenty four a single vessel of the gulf squadron was occasionally sent to the african coast to return by the route usually followed by the slavers no wonder that none of these or any other of our public ships have found vessels engaged in the slave trade under the flag of the united states although it is known that the trade still exists to a most lamentable extent indeed all that an american slaver need do was run up a spanish or a portuguese flag to be absolutely secure from all attack or inquiry on the part of the united states vessels even this desultory method of suppression was not regular in eighteen twenty six no vessel has been dispatched to the coast of africa for several months and from that time until eighteen thirty nine this country probably had no slave trade police upon the seas except in the gulf of mexico in eighteen thirty nine increasing violations led to the sending of two fast-sailing vessels to the african coast and these were kept there more or less regularly but even after the signing of the treaty of eighteen forty two the secretary of the navy reports on the coast of africa we have no squadron the small appropriation of the present year was believed to be scarcely sufficient between eighteen forty three and eighteen fifty the coast squadron varied from two to six vessels with from three to ninety-eight guns but the force habitually and actively engaged in cruising on the ground frequented by slavers has probably been less by one-fourth if we consider the size of the ships employed and their withdrawal for purposes of recreation and health and the movement of the reliefs whose arrival does not correspond exactly with the departure of the vessels whose term of service has expired the reports of the navy show that in only four of the eight years mentioned was the fleet at the time of report at the stipulated size of eighty guns and at times it was much below this even as late as eighteen forty eight when only two vessels are reported on duty along the african coast as the commanders themselves acknowledged the squadron was too small and the cruising ground too large to make joint cruising effective the same story comes from the brazil station nothing effectual can be done toward stopping the slave trade as our squadron is at present organized wrote the consul at rio janeiro in eighteen forty seven when it is considered that the brazil station extends from north of the equator to cape horn on this continent and includes a great part of africa south of the equator on both sides of the cape of good hope it must be admitted that one frigate and one brig is a very insufficient force to protect american commerce and repress the participation in the slave trade by our own vessels in the gulf of mexico cruisers were stationed most of the time although even here there were at times urgent representations that the scarcity or the absence of such vessels gave the illicit trade great license 
owing to this general negligence of the government and also to its anxiety on the subject of the theoretic right of search many officials were kept in a state of chronic deception in regard to the trade the enthusiasm of commanders was dampened by the lack of latitude allowed and by the repeated insistence in their orders on the non-existence of a right of search when one commander realizing that he could not cover the trading track with his fleet requested english commanders to detain suspicious american vessels until one of his vessels came up the government annulled the agreement as soon as it reached their ears rebuked him and the matter was alluded to in congress long after with horror according to the orders of cruisers only slavers with slaves actually on board could be seized consequently fully equipped slavers would sail past the american fleet deliberately make all preparations for shipping a cargo then when the english were not near sell the ship to a spaniard hoist the american flag and again sail gaily past the american fleet with a cargo of slaves an english commander reported the officers of the united states navy are extremely active and zealous in the cause and no fault can be attributed to them but it is greatly to be lamented that this blemish should in so great a degree nullify our endeavors seventy eight responsibility of the government not only did the government thus negatively favor the slave trade but also many conscious positive acts must be attributed to a spirit hostile to the proper enforcement of the slave trade laws in cases of doubt when the law needed executive interpretation the decision was usually in favor of the looser construction of the law the trade from new orleans to mobile was for instance declared not to be coastwise trade and consequently to the joy of cuban smugglers was left utterly free and unrestricted after the conquest of mexico even vessels bound to california by way of cape horn were allowed to clear coastwise thus giving our flag to the slave pirates of the whole world attorney general nelson declared that the selling to a slave trader of an american vessel to be delivered on the coast of africa was not aiding or abetting the slave trade so easy was it for slavers to sail that corruption among officials was hinted at there is certainly a want of proper vigilance at havana wrote commander perry in eighteen forty four and perhaps at the ports of the united states and again in the same year i cannot but think that the custom-house authorities in the united states are not sufficiently rigid in looking after vessels of suspicious character in the courts it was still next to impossible to secure the punishment of the most notorious slave-trader in eighteen forty seven a council writes the slave power in this city i e rio janeiro is extremely great and a council doing his duty needs to be supported kindly and effectually at home in the case of the fame where the vessel was diverted from the business intended by her owners and employed in the slave-trade both of which offences are punishable with death if i rightly read the laws i sent home the two mates charged with these offences for trial the first mate to norfolk the second mate to philadelphia what was done with the first mate i know not in the case of the man sent to philadelphia mr commissioner kane states that a clear prima facie case is made out 
and then holds him to bail in the sum of one thousand dollars which would be paid by any slave trader in rio on the presentation of a draft in all there is little encouragement for exertion again the perry in eighteen fifty captured a slaver which was about to ship eighteen hundred slaves the captain admitted his guilt and was condemned in the united states district court at new york nevertheless he was admitted to bail of five thousand dollars this being afterward reduced to three thousand dollars he forfeited it and escaped the mate was sentenced to two years in the penitentiary also several slavers sent home to the united states by the british with clear evidence of guilt escaped condemnation through technicalities seventy nine activity of the slave trade eighteen twenty to eighteen fifty the enhanced price of slaves throughout the american slave market brought about by the new industrial development and the laws against the slave trade was the irresistible temptation that drew american capital and enterprise into that traffic in the united states in spite of the large interstate traffic the average price of slaves rose from about three hundred twenty five dollars in eighteen forty to three hundred sixty dollars in eighteen fifty and to five hundred dollars in eighteen sixty brazil and cuba offered similar inducements to smugglers and the american flag was ready to protect such pirates as a result the american slave trade finally came to be carried on principally by united states capital in united states ships officered by united states citizens and under the united states flag executive reports repeatedly acknowledge this fact in eighteen thirty nine a careful revision of these laws is recommended by the president in order that the integrity and honor of our flag may be carefully preserved in june eighteen forty one the president declares there is reason to believe that the traffic is on the increase and advocates vigorous efforts his message in december of the same year acknowledges that the american flag is grossly abused by the abandoned and profligate of other nations is but too probable the special message of eighteen forty five explains at length that it would seem that a regular policy of evading the laws is carried on american vessels with the knowledge of the owners are chartered by notorious slave dealers in brazil aided by english capitalists with this intent the message of eighteen forty nine earnestly invites the attention of congress to an amendment of our existing laws relating to the african slave trade with a view to the effectual suppression of that barbarous traffic it is not to be denied continues the message that this trade is still in part carried on by means of vessels built in the united states and owned or navigated by some of our citizens governor buchanan of liberia reported in eighteen thirty nine the chief obstacle to the success of the very active measures pursued by the british government for the suppression of the slave trade on the coast is the american flag never was the proud banner of freedom so extensively used by those pirates upon liberty and humanity as at this season one well-known american slaver was boarded fifteen times and twice taken into port but always escaped by means of her papers even american officers report that the english are doing all they can but that the american flag protects the trade 
the evidence which literally poured in from our councils and ministers at brazil adds to the story of the guilt of the united states it was proven that the participation of united states citizens in the trade was large and systematic one of the most notorious slave merchants of brazil said i am worried by the americans who insist upon my hiring their vessels for slave trade minister prophet stated in eighteen forty four that the slave trade is almost entirely carried out under our flag in american-built vessels so too in cuba the british commissioners affirm that american citizens were openly engaged in the traffic vessels arrive undisguised at havana from the united states and cleared for africa as slavers after an alleged sale the american consul trist was proven to have consciously or unconsciously aided this trade by the issuance of blank clearance papers the presence of american capital in these enterprises and the contrivance of the authorities were proven in many cases and known in scores in eighteen thirty seven the english government informed the united states that from the papers of a captured slaver it appeared that the notorious slave-trading firm blanco and carballo of havana who owned the vessel had correspondence in the united states at baltimore messrs peter harmony and company in new york robert berry esq the slaver martha of new york captured by the perry contained among her papers curious revelations of the guilt of persons in america who were little suspected the slaver prova which was allowed to lie in the harbor of charleston south carolina and refit was afterwards captured with two hundred and twenty-five slaves on board the real reason that prevented so many belligerent congressmen from pressing certain search claims against england lay in the fact that the unjustifiable detentions had unfortunately revealed so much american guilt that it was deemed wiser to let the matter end in talk for instance in eighteen fifty congress demanded information as to illegal searches and president fillmore's report showed the uncomfortable fact that of the ten american ships wrongly detained by english men-of-war nine were proven red-handed slavers the council of havana reported in eighteen thirty six that whole cargoes of slaves fresh from africa were being daily shipped to texas in american vessels that one thousand had been sent within a few months that the rate was increasing and that many of these slaves can scarcely fail to find their way into the united states moreover the council acknowledged that ships frequently cleared for the united states in ballast taking on a cargo at some secret point when with these facts we consider the law facilitating recovery of slaves from texas the repeated refusals to regulate the texan trade and the shelving of a proposed congressional investigation into these matters conjecture becomes a practical certainty it was estimated in eighteen thirty eight that fifteen thousand africans were annually taken to texas and there are even grounds for suspicion that there are other places where slaves are introduced between eighteen forty seven and eighteen fifty three the slave smuggler drake had a slave depot in the gulf where sometimes as many as sixteen hundred negroes were on hand and the owners were continually importing and shipping 
the joint stock company writes this smuggler was a very extensive one and connected with leading american and spanish mercantile houses our island was visited almost weekly by agents from cuba new york baltimore philadelphia boston and new orleans the seasoned and instructed slaves were taken to texas or florida overland and to cuba in sailing boats as no squad contained more than half a dozen no difficulty was found in posting them to the united states without discovery and generally without suspicion the bay island plantation sent ventures weekly to the florida keys slaves were taken into the great american swamps and there kept till wanted for the market hundreds were sold as captured runaways from the florida wilderness we had agents in every slave state and our coasters were built in maine and came out with lumber i could tell curious stories of this business of smuggling bozal negroes into the united states it is growing more profitable every year and if you should hang all the yankee merchants engaged in it hundreds would fill their places inherent probability and concurrent testimony confirm the substantial truth of such confessions for instance one traveller discovers on a southern plantation negroes who can speak no english the careful reports of the quakers apprehend that many slaves are also introduced into the united states governor matthew of the bahama islands reports that in more than one instance bahama vessels with colored crews have been purposely wrecked on the coast of florida and the crews forcibly sold this was brought to the notice of the united states authorities but the district attorney of florida could furnish no information such was the state of the slave trade in eighteen fifty on the threshold of the critical decade which by a herculean effort was destined finally to suppress it End of chapter 10